0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Isabel Piquet at the ILO in Geneva, and today we are going to talk about rural women, the crucial role they play in agriculture, food security, and nutrition, and the struggles they face in their daily lives, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, and how we can build their resilience and empower them. We have two guests today. Rima Nanavati, who belongs to SIWA, Self-Employed Women's Association, a trade union in India that promotes the rights of low-income, independently employed female workers. With over 1.6 million participating women, SIWA is the largest organization of informal workers in the world. Hello, Rima, and thank you very much for being with us today.
1: Hello, Isabel. It's my pleasure and privilege.
0: Also with us is Elisenda Estruch-Puertas, Rural Economy Specialist at the ILO.
2: Hello, Elisenda. Hello, Isabel, and hello, Rima.
0: So let's start the conversation with you, Rima. Rural women have been at the front lines of the pandemic, even as the unpaired care and domestic work increased during lockdowns. Rima, has the situation in India improved in recent months for rural women, What are women telling you about what they've been through? Do we see signs of recovery?
1: Um, Hello, um, Isabel and Elizenda, and uh, I think you asked a very, very uh, important question, that yes, um, the situation of COVID-19 is gradually receding, including in the rural areas, Um, We see less and less people now getting infected with the um, COVID infection. Uh, We see less of hesitancy as well, so um, rural women are also coming out for um, getting vaccinated. But I think the last one and a half year has been very, very disruptive um, to the lives and livelihoods of the rural women. While most of the economic activities came to a standstill, um, it was the agriculture sector that absorbed the most of the shock. Um, it also had to um, also provide livelihood and sustenance to the millions of migrant workers which were returning home from the cities. Uh, I also still re- uh, remember that one of our very oldest members from the villages uh, in a dry desert area, she was calling me um, when the lockdown was um, you know, announced and she said she's worked her whole life extremely hard pursuing multiple livelihood activities just to feed her family of six but she says that this COVID-19 has destroyed us completely. Not only has their livelihoods been destroyed, even the government's national rural employment guarantee work has stopped. There's no transportation. And to top it all, you know, there were unseasonal rains because of climate change, which destroyed their standing crops. So how do I feed my family? That was her question that she was telling me. And she says that just because we are poor, we don't have any self-respect and a right to live. And you were left with no answer. And, you know, the situation of the um, small farmers was different, but that of the agriculture laborers or workers was even worse. Um, You know, because the farmers would even be able to sell their harvest when the markets would open. But what would the agricultural laborers do? So Kailash Ben, one of the agriculture laborers, she was saying that um, no one talks about or thinks about agriculture workers. Don't we have the right to live? All we need is work to sustain our lives. Um, And she said it's like walking on a double-edged sword. So I think, and then there was the second wave, which was very fierce and deadly. And as a result, we lost some 400 and 391 members of SEVA, our sisters. 266 sisters lost their husbands and over 1,017 members reported death in their families. And we have some close to 52 children who became orphans. So they've lost both their parents. So I think the COVID pandemic led to asset erosion. It led to destruction of their livelihoods and lives. And... uh, I think um, the children's education has been uh, also uh, affected. We see a lot of dropouts. So to give an example, Anjana Parmar, who's a 36-year-old mother of two, she lost her husband to COVID. He was working as a daily wager as an electrician. And they had very meager savings. And she had, normally she used to use it to pay the fees of her children but now she had to use it up for uh, her husband's treatment and then his funeral. So she says that I don't know from where will I manage or even my next meal. And the result is that she has to remove her sons from school. So this is the reality of how women are embracing the situation due to COVID. Uh, We don't know when the post COVID is likely to be there. So,
0: Rima, in these extremely difficult circumstances that you are describing, uh, what are the three most urgent measures that should be taken to alleviate their situation? What are women telling you they want first?
1: What our members are saying and what we have learned from our past almost five decades of experience is that uh, they do not want charity, but all they want is immediate work. Um, and what we have also seen that what, is, what will be really very important is access to universal social protection. Um, and this includes skill building, skill enhancement, skill diversification, access to, you know, immediate primary health care, child care services, insurance, food security. In short, we call it as full employment which is, uh, uh, you know, work and income security, uh, access to basic support services and food security. And uh, unless and until you ensure that, then only the women and their households will be able to have a minimum income. Which is there, and when there is a minimum income, then only the uh, and that is possible only when the livelihoods are stabilized. And therefore, I think what we are trying to work on is to set up a livelihood recovery and resilience fund for these rural workers Um, because, in the current crisis, the livelihoods have been destroyed, Um, savings and other assets have eroded and the women workers are facing acute work, income, and most importantly, food insecurity. Um, So that's the biggest challenge, and we are trying to address that. Uh, On top of it, with the migrants returning to the villages, the stress on the rural economy has increased, Um, you know, exacerbating the issues and challenges around Um, gender inequality, gender pay gap, Um, you find that there is preferential employment of men over women. So I think um, another important aspect, therefore, what we are trying to see to address this, is how do you ensure access to energy, Uh, clean energy, green energy, to address the issue of poverty. So, in short, how do you build an economy, uh, which is a nurturing economy? Um,
0: Elisenda, uh, give us a broader picture of the effect of the pandemic on rural women around the world. Uh, What Rima is telling us, this extremely difficult situation, is telling us about India, is it true also for rural women in other countries?
2: indeed um, the stories that uh, it's well it's an honor to be listening to what Rima is sharing with us today because these are stories from Ranima from Kalash Ben from Anjana are telling us many many of the elements that are important also for other rural women, especially in developing countries, uh, in these challenging times no, um, of the COVID-19 pandemic. Let me just highlight a few, a few issues. Um, so first, um, well, the effects of the pandemic uh, have reminded us that women play vital roles in agri-food systems and the rural economy. So just two figures, Uh, rural women comprise about a quarter of the world's population, that's big numbers, and they make up about 41% of the world's agricultural labor force. And they work as farmers, wage earners, and entrepreneurs, as the examples Rima has, has shared. Um, So I think this gives us the importance of that really women are a backbone of many rural economies around the world. At the same time, a second element to bear in mind is that the pandemic's impact on the world of work has been devastating and far reaching. And women and young people and migrant workers have been among the groups that have been very much affected. in particular to rural women, I think the impacts of the pandemic have l- led bear the prevailing constraints. So they were facing many difficulties and that they have been further exacerbated because of these challenging times. Um, for example, they were and are often concentrated uh, in low skilled, low productivity, jobs with low paid and as Rima was saying, um, with limited access to social protection. So for many rural women, um, in the context of the pandemic, they were not covered by health insurance or income protection. So they were exposed to even larger levels of vulnerability. A third element of reflection, as I was hearing to Rima, and that I want to share is that many rural women shoulder at this point proportionate burden of unpaid care and household work, and that includes food provision, caring for children, for the sick, for the elderly. And we have to keep in mind as well that many poor households in in rural areas of developing countries it's rural women, the one that go collecting water or food, and even it might be younger or even girls that take care of these responsibilities. And those go f- go often unreported, invisible, but yet are very important for the well-being of, of the families, of the communities. And this burden has increased with the COVID-19 uh, crisis because Schools were closed because there were care needs uh, that increased because uh, household members got sick. And this additional burden of unpaid work, it's preventing uh, women in rural areas of engaging in more productive, more rewarding uh, activities and new opportunities in the rural economy and to advance in the world of work. And an element that is important and it emerges in many stories we hear about rural women is about how restrictive can be certain social norms and gender stereotypes that, for example, can limit the access of women farmers uh, in accessing land or even important services such as financial services or agricultural extension, which provides technical assistance. Uh, in And also, many rural women or entrepreneurs or uh, wage earners are facing difficulties in accessing all their services, and that can include employment services or even business support. So I think it's important also to bear in mind those the social norms and gender stereotypes. And the last point, as I was uh, reflecting and hearing about Rima, is that we have seen that organizations like Siwa have an important role to play in addressing a very important challenge, that is addressing the lack of voice and representation that many rural women face around the world. Um, and they are often re- underrepresented in workers and employers' organizations, as well as other kinds of rural organizations. And where we see this gap uh larger so well it's in leadership and managerial positions. So this has implications. Uh, for example, rural women might not have such a strong say of their own now that the policy process towards the recovery are being discussed and are being designed. Thank you, Elisenda. So Rima, because of
0: what Elisenda is, is describing, because of all these problems you were telling us and, and also Um, because, you know, they are underrepresented and they face all this increasing uh, hardship because of COVID pandemic. In a way, because we're talking about that, uh, do you think that the role uh, that women and girls play in rural households and their contribution to a more sustainable agri-food sector is being increasingly recognized in a way because we are talking about all these problems?
1: I think she really brought about... This very important aspect and women and young girls both um, play a very important role and also responsibility of fulfilling the family's food and nutritional needs. In fact, I would go to say that, you know, they play a very major role in the entire food value system. Um, So as a farmer uh, or as a small farmer or a family farmer in production, in processing, in marketing, in trading, in the grain market, Um, then in making um, decisions um, of food and in uh, consumption and purchase of food at the household level. They also play a major role in food waste disposal and um, activities such as composting, producing biogas. So which, uh, which is like a circular uh, economy in itself. And uh, I would like to say that despite their important role in the food system, um, there are still gender discrimination and therefore women have been facing constraint as Elisanda was referring to as lack of land ownership Access to other productive resources and an ecosystem to increase their um, voices and also their income. Um, so I think um, we still have some long way to go in bringing visibility of women and girls in the food value chain or in the uh, agri-food sector. And I think um, one important aspect is that how do you organize and uh, build women's own collectives, cooperatives, enterprises um, so that, you know, women just don't remain agriculture laborers or workers or small farmers, but they also become owners and managers. Their farm also becomes an enterprise. And let me give you an example of... SEVA's uh, members have formed some, you know, uh, 25,000 women uh, have formed their own agribusiness uh, enterprise and they great process, uh, they procure great process from these small farmers. Um, They package it and then um, do door-to-door delivery through a cadre of saleswomen whom we call it as Rudy Benz. So this is under the brand of Rudy. And uh, during COVID also, Rudy became so relevant because the women were there right at the doorstep providing the needed um, nutrition and food to the rural households. Even though the transportation was... um, not there and the markets had closed but Rudy was decentralized and so we procured from the farmers as well and that enabled you know the um, value chain to pro, uh, continue so it provided nutrition and food security it provided market access to the farmers and as a result the turnover of Rudy increased so i think the lesson here is that the more decentralized and local the supply chain uh, it brings more recognition to the role of women and girls in the food system and then I think we also have another enterprise, which is called Kamla, where, you know, the traditional coarse grains are uh, all going out from circulation and the processed packaged food of multinationals is taking its place. So we have trained some um, 2000 women into making Snacks into bakery and culinary using these coarse grains, and um, so they make biscuits, bread, um, cookies, um, crunchies, and that is also packaged and distributed in the villages. So as a result, the youth are now you know getting encouraged to prefer coarse grains uh, and millets compared to, you know, the processed and packaged food. So I think if we have these kind of initiatives where the women are the owners and managers, the women own the whole supply chain, and the supply chain is local and decentralized, then I think it brings the recognition of the role that women play in the agri-food system.
0: Thank you very much, Rima. And I would like you to tell us a little bit more about what Siwa is, is doing, the amazing work is doing with workers that uh, produce salt that work in a particularly dire situation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: I'm so glad that you also are remembering the poorest of the poor um, rural workers. These are the women who live and work in the desert for almost about eight to nine months of the year, and they produce the rock salt, the inland salt from the desert, and um, they live in very uninhabitable climatic conditions, you know, very scorching heat and um, strong uh, hot winds blowing and then uh, in the desert winters. Uh, and previously they used to uh, use diesel pumps for pumping the brine for about 24 hours for almost three months of the year and um, barely earning a net income of, you know, 150 to $200 at the end of the entire season. That's the whole year. So these... Life of these uh, um, salt pan workers, whom we call as the Agarria women, um, was like that of bonded laborers. And uh, it was full of challenges, lack of access to skills, working capital, high operational costs, no direct access to market or affordable credit, or even clean and efficient energy, and exploitation by traders um, cartel. On top of that, the uninhabitable uh, working conditions. So we started organizing these salt pan workers, and today we have close to 15,000 women workers. Um, and the first thing was to provide them with technical trainings to improve the quality of salt, so that you could reach out to the direct, uh, directly to the market. Um, but we found that, you know, in spite of that, how their the majority of their earnings was going away in buying the diesel oil, and that's where Seva facilitated these women workers with affordable access to solar pumps through an innovating, innovative financing solution. Um, so as a result, there are no recurring costs associated with the solar pumps. And in three to five years, it helps them uh, completely resolve the working capital issue, which was making them, you know, um, exploited by the traders or money lenders. So today, Seva has facilitated over 3,000 poor pan workers with access to solar pumps. And um, this really proves that, you know, asset creation at the grassroots level is the surest way to fight poverty. And it also proves what I had said in the beginning that poor women do not want charity, but they need an enabling policy environment and innovating, innovative financial tools and instruments. So today, um, during the off season, these women are setting up the first ever women-owned solar park. So the energy that the electricity that would be generated would be sold um, to the grid and that would bring an additional income into the hands of these women so that they're able to repay back their loans quite, uh, you know, efficiently so similarly Seva has connected some 500 poor smallholder households to clean uh, and green solar pumps for irrigation Uh, and you know it has not only benefited them by having access to clean energy but it also brought additional um, support in areas of cultivation, cropping intensity, Mm -hmm. um, support to animal husbandry uh, reduction in wastage of water, time, drudgery, air, and noise pollution. And this that way, even though you know small, but collectively the women are contributing in reducing their carbon footprints and um, countries' NDCs and also the SDG um, that we all believe in.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, in this description of the poorest of the poor, as you very well describe them, Rima, we also see one of the goals of uh, the recovery that we have started to talk about in the world, fighting poverty, empowering the most vulnerable. Um, Elisenda, it's becoming more and more evident that the recovery will be very different from country to country and from population to population. Um, From the ILO perspective, how can we take into account uh, the needs of rural women in, in this recovery?
2: Yes, um, indeed, uh, we have learned also about these uh, stories, no, and these efforts that see went and, and impressive results actually in these challenging contexts, such as uh, the desert and salt produ- production and, and so on and so forth, and how to turn it into a cycle, no, of prosperity and a bi- and more vibrant even in this difficult context. So. Indeed, um, we hear that um, from the stories that Rima has shared and also uh, from other contexts that challenges are uh, in many fronts. So efforts need to go, as, as Rima was saying, no, along an enabling environment as well, no, and sort of an ecosystem, I think she used this word. Um, so, well, much will depend, of course, on the country's circumstances and, and, and what are the needs of the specific Uh, populations and when um, those needs need to be heard and and considered. Um, And then um, what I can share as well is that, well, the challenges are many, but they are also interrelated. So they call for integrated approaches in, in how we define our response. So that's why the ILO offers an integrated framework uh, for rural women's empowerment. So that's underpinned, uh, well, of course, on the international labor standards in the respect for the rights of work, employment promotion, social dialogue and social protection. And you might think, what do we mean by that? And what can we do more specifically? So, well, we have to put attention and, and, and in creating decent jobs for rural women. Um, Rima has mentioned several times that women don't want charity. They want to be empowered, to be enabled, to uh, make their contribution, to build a more vibrant uh, rural economy. So we can facilitate them as well access to entrepreneurship training and to finance while promoting um, a transition from informality towards formality. And in order to reduce, uh, we have discussed as well, uh, their time constraints. We mentioned that burden that they often have. It's important to continue improving access to rural infrastructure. Um, The example was mentioning about energy and there is also uh, why not also improving uh, connectivity and access to new technologies, for example, um, and improving also water systems um, and more sustainable uh, practices also in in rural areas. And all this is key. And... uh, this integrated framework also looks at uh, more, how can we call it, more transformative uh, perspective to combat gender inequality and to empower uh, rural women and thinking also of the new generation. So that also means uh, making rural areas more attractive uh, to the younger generation and providing access to other kinds of services. And that includes also, of course, care facilities, health uh, services, access to quality Education and also uh, to culture and other kinds of activities, and this will avoid uh, perpetuating no cycles of inequality and poverty towards the next generation. Let's break those cycles, and importantly. I think, and, and what we have heard also from Siwa, and it's uh, to con- keep ensuring and strengthening the voices of rural women so that their needs can be taken into account and that they ha- can have a say in the policy responses towards the recovery. Um, so, in a short sentence, so promoting this and work and putting it at the center of all our efforts to rural women's empowerment and pursuing this transformative agenda towards uh, gender equality, I think we can make a change, because it's time for changing things, uh, to do more and to do it better as well. And we have to keep always in mind that empowering rural women will have a significant impact, uh, not only on productivity in agriculture, but also in improving food security, And in achieving a recovery in rural economies, that it's inclusive, sustainable and resilient. And that means ensuring that no one is left behind, that no rural woman is left behind. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Elisenda, for giving us this broader view. Uh, Thank you, Rima, for telling us what's happening on the ground and what uh, CIWA is doing. Thank you both for your time for our podcast on rural women. Our guests today were Rima Nanavati, member of CIWA, and Elisenda estruch Portas, Rural Economy Specialist at the ILO. Please join us again soon for another edition of the ILO Future of Work podcast. Goodbye.